Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hello and welcome back. It's your co-host Cyrus, the socialist brother, here again with my brother Chase, Christian brother. Chase, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. I am ready to go deep in these next two episodes, man. We have a lot of depth and ground to cover. Yes, we do. We, uh, just had a couple of great interviews. Um, most recently, uh, the one we dropped was with Russ, and that one still has our brains kind of gears turning. Um, and we feel like we didn't really get as much of a overview of what he talked about and didn't get to dig as deep into uh, some of that conversation as, as we wanted. So we wanted to touch on a few of those things here. And I know you had some other ideas as well of what we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, and you know what, a sneak peek underneath the sheets uh, we have another Christian socialist interview that we're not going to publish for a few weeks that really just laid on top of us and compounded some of the things that he was hammering home. And so we're going to take an episode or two uh, this week to, to, to check ourselves spiritually, politically, and what's going on there. And so, yeah, this first episode, Cyrus, I really want to explore the spiritual side of what Russell's was talking about and uh, what we've spoken with all- offline. And then the next one, I'll dive into some politics stuff. And so before we do all that, though, and before we start meddling in your spiritual interpersonal sanctum, I want to get us <laughs> on the same uh, plane here because I, you know, I, I want to start on a loving foot here because that's really what we're how and why I want to move forward with this. Um, and I've, we've had and shared some memories that, uh, man, I've regretted or I've been frustrated about still to this day. I've even had to apologize for, which I don't know if you take me seriously on my apologies. I really ask for forgiveness. And I think you really need to forgive me. I, okay. Well, I forgive you for, <laughs> for all the, this is count this as a blanket forgiveness. Um, what's past is past, but I'll be watching you from now on. There's no, not a toe over the line. You're uh, yeah. It's you're zero in my book. Um, yeah. <laughs> Starting so from scratch. The good memory that I've picked for those. And I think we have a few was when you were in middle school. I'm, I was, no, you were a seventh grader because I was a junior and I told you we were going to help the homeless like at night in the middle of the week. And I was we were going <laughs> with some other uh, church group friends that I was with. Most of them were older, like a year older than me. So I was with seniors and like we wrangled you in and it was the backdrop to do what do you remember <laughs> i i mean i i do have a vague recollection of this remember handing out out of spunkmeyer cookies but dude but, yeah give me give me the rest of the deets spider-man 3 premiere oh that's so right we okay Idaho. i thought you were talking about the time we actually went and did that yeah no okay so yeah spider-man 3 premiere and if you know what you have too many things to do in high school this wasn't a huge thing for you but in idaho at the time uh, a big movie premiere was a big deal. Like you went to go see the midnight showing of it. And so Spider-Man three yeah, was back before there were like 10 superhero movies a year. You know, we, we took what we could get. That's there was right. like one a year and we were like, Oh yeah, that's <laughs> and the first two weren't too bad. You know, this was going to have venom in it. And 
Yeah, I think I still have that Venom T-shirt that uh, right. you had picked up for me at Walmart or whatever. So the whole the thing premiere. is like all week, I'm telling Cyrus, yo, dude, all the movie theaters were sold out because they were. And I don't plan ahead, but I actually planned ahead and got us tickets like as part of a group <laughs> or whatever else. And yeah. all week we're talking about how we'd love to see the Midnight Show, but we didn't do it. And he's in seventh grade. And, you know, on this, the premiere of this movie, we're going to go help the homeless. That's what we should be doing. And we were going to go to this homeless shelter that happened to be right by the movie theaters. And we just happened to Kill go to like birds a, with one stone. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, and we went and like got Spider-Man t-shirts at Walmart, like before we went. And we even decided to go into the movie theater before taking picture or before going to the homeless to like take pictures just to, like for the nostalgia of it. And I remember you looking at me like, dude, this is rough. Like, I know we should be helping the homeless, but I really want to see this freaking movie right now. <laughs> and then like i yeah. do you remember that i do yeah i remember that conflict that conflict what? oh no, just that that like internal conflict yes and you know what yeah. maybe it's a memory i've just cherished because i've needed to but i unfurled your like little venom shirt because you didn't know that you had like we'd gotten you one of those yeah like, we're here to see spider-man and i remember <laughs> like a tear or two of happiness coming out you're like yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, I i remember that i mean the movie have its faults um but i was uh, in seventh grade so i thought it was pretty cool you know i remember i, I remember him doing that emo phase i was like oh I, cool. maybe i should do my hair like that <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have as much of a beef with dark spidey as the popular media did i i i ate it up so yeah yeah anyway. maybe that's true but you know we were we were raised in idaho and it's hard pressed to find a high schooler in idaho who isn't pretty cringe as uh we like to say online so i don't even uh, know what that means and i'm gonna just let's let's let that pass before we insult all of our <laughs> former friends <laughs> so yeah. having said that um good memories i wanted to yeah why'd you think of that what, what, what well that you know what so I, something russ had said um had got me thinking you know what about you and about how wh where your beliefs are at and you know what we, there was once upon a time we said prayers together like every night for i don't know how long but for a while and um and, you know and particularly his comment has been sticking with me particularly with your and curiosity for you it was when he was in mexico and had said that he had struck up a friendship with a man who's like sold him bread or meat or whatever groceries and he had he could tell this man had a divine spark in him in a relationship with jesus and he could tell that that man knew that he his divine spark within Russ could also have that relationship with God. And uh, he re and Russ really all of a sudden wanted that divine spark and knew he didn't have it. Then he got it and knew he had it. And that's an interesting testimony. Uh, I would say, you know, not scientific, but certainly qualitative evidence to something spiritual that happened in him. And so I wanted to ask you where you were on your spiritual journey and with the, that backdrop discussion. Yeah. Well, I mean, from my uh, perspective, I feel like I had, I, I don't know that I would say a full divine transcendent moment, um, but it was definitely a, 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 a moment where things started to click into place for me, um, you know, post pandemic uh, after sort of months of um not doing a whole lot uh, at, at our parents' house in Eastern Idaho because I didn't really have anywhere else to go at the time. Well, you were pretty burnt out from Bernie losing too. Yeah, no, I mean, I felt 
completely lost, um, you know, for, for those of us in on the left or in, you know, that invested in that movement. Uh, it was what I had put my focus and energy and attention on. Um, and I think what a lot of other people did. And I think it seemed for a time, you know, I, I was never fully optimistic or I didn't have any expectations that he was going to win. But then there was a time when it looked like he might. Um, and then even more that, you know, that raised the bar even more. So the crash afterwards was just, I think for a lot of people, I mean, personally for me, it was kind of devastating. Mm. Um, and especially in the way that it happened, you know, we can argue about the how exactly, why exactly Bernie lost, whether he ever had a chance to win in the first place. But it just seemed like we were completely without any direction. Um, I was completely without any direction. Uh, because I left the army and also was not interested after I did leave the army in going to certain, you know, the, the, the typical line of work that you might expect uh, someone with my sort of education and bona fides to go into. Project management. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I could not imagine finding satisfaction or meaning in that. And I think I thought and and i think i did find satisfaction and meaning in supporting the cause of of bernie but that too was like ephemeral um you know in a way and then when i was of us with 20 or so iq points lower ephemeral yeah just uh fleeting fleeting you know it's it's not gonna pretty around forever (laughs) like uh you know like like tears in the rain um yeah so anyways uh (laughs) that said I realized, I think, after that, that my belief in in Bernie or in socialism or in that cause wasn't really rooted in anything. You know, I think even though Bernie's slogan was not me, us, there was still, you know, in, in between the time between 2016 and 2020, I think most people on the left were just waiting for 2020, waiting for Bernie to take up the mantle again to lead us, you know, to marshal the forces because we didn't really know what else to do. Um, so when that leader became essentially non, a, a non, uh, non-figure or a non-factor. Non- yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, completely uh, captured by the democratic party after he dropped out, uh, which for someone who felt like the democratic party was, the primary reason that he lost was, you know, hard to swallow as well. Um, but at that same time, I just, I knew that it couldn't, that, that, that route wasn't going to work anymore, that like it was maybe never going to work and it might've been somewhat of a waste of time. Uh, although I don't think, I don't think so now in retrospect, but. So you're saying like a deep, dark place, potentially at a cul-de-sac dead end. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone who, you know, um, ended up getting out of the army because of severe depression and anxiety. I, I, I was sort of in a similar place. I, I don't know that I was ever quite at that same one, but definitely in a position of not really knowing what would ever give me, you know, that meaning again, I, I knew that I was still committed to the ideals of socialism and, and whatnot, but I didn't really have an anchor um, so to speak. Uh, and then it was through, you know, a number of different things. I think, uh, you know, my own personal reading and just reflection, you know, sitting in my room, uh, just wondering where it all went wrong <laughs> or, uh, you know, a lot of, or, um, you know, to be fair, Matt Chrisman and his Kush vlogs 
were a big part of helping me kind of get the juices flowing. And, and in a lot of ways, I returned back to the thing that brought me to socialism in the first place, which was, you know, epistemological questions about the nature of the universe, about how, and ontological questions about how we know what we know. I might have that backwards, but, uh, um, but, you know, those types of questions, because I was, I was at a loss of, I didn't even know what I didn't know anymore. Or, you know, I, I had no, I was, I was in the middle of the ocean, just, just treading water. Um, and I think I realized at some point you have to start swimming in a direction. And for me, the direction that ended up landing on was, you know, really trying to get to the basis of why I believe what I believe. And, you know, that's its own whole rabbit hole. I don't know if that's what you want to go down into, but we can definitely talk about that. I'm happy to go into what you believe uh, so long as it is also where you're at with, with God and with that divine spark. And um, there's certainly a lot of ways we can disagree on what to do. Uh, so, so, so yes, why you believe what you believe, but also where you are with, with you. And by that, I mean, where you are with, with God, I feel like that's. Well, let, maybe, maybe this will help. Well, let me, let me answer your question with another question, if that's okay. Please. Which is, do you believe that that divine spark that you, you know, say you feel, and I have no reason not to believe that. And Russ says he feels, I have no reason not to believe that. Do you feel that that exists for people outside of the Christian faith? Uh, yeah, I think we all are created in God's image and we all have a spirit or a soul that goes on after. And it's so, it's- you know, devout Muslims or Mormons or uh, Hindus can can um, can have that divine spark through their own practices. Well, I think we all have a spirit or a soul and I sure. best associate the division between spirit and soul between when my mind disagrees with my body very frequently, my body wants something, my mind thinks that's dumb. And then um, there are, and especially as I feed it, I meditate and I, I listen to it more. I pray more. I ask, I, I'm more in receive mode. Mm-hmm. There's a third element going on of that my body and mind that, that are a different, a, a different of the other two. Now, I guess, and, and this is a, a question to, to, to your question. So, and I think we, I recently told you, I think Romans two is pretty interesting about other people, particularly whether they've heard the name of Jesus or not. Are, are you saying a big barrier to advancing your faith or exploring Jesus is the idea that everyone that hasn't heard of Jesus is going to hell? Something like that. I, I mean, yeah, sort of. I, honestly, it's it's almost the opposite. It's that everyone goes to heaven if you believe. You know, when I first really started to leave the faith, it, I mean, it was part part and parcel. And I think this is a lot of young men's stories, to be honest, is getting into existentialism via Albert Camus. Uh, and absurdism more specifically in his case, but that whole sort of field of, of philosophy. Um which more or less, and, you know, this is including Nietzsche in, in, the, in the mental or in the philosophical gumbo as well, but basically just to put it short that religion is cope for a world that a universe that's cold and unfeeling towards you 
uh, for, you know, the masses of humanity that labor and struggle all their lives without seeing, you know, much of a reward that there's a promise of reward at the end of the rainbow. And that, you know, as I started to fixate on that more and more, um, became more and more, it seemed obvious to me that at the end of it, that, oh, it's, it's kind of funny, but all it's, it's like, you know, I think, I think Nietzsche might even uh, speak to this and thus speak Zarathustra or one of his, one of his tomes, but uh, you know, the idea that there are certain universal questions, which all cultures have to answer, like, how do we move heavy things from one place to another? Well, some cultures use a rickshaw or a wheelbarrow or rolling logs or whatever else. In much the same way, all cultures have to answer the question, where did I come from? Where am I going? And what am I supposed to do while I'm here? And they all come up with their own real world theories, you know, so to speak. So that was the beginning of sort of my deciding to leave faith. And I think, you know, that sort of line of thinking ends up making you once you make that decision that I don't believe anymore. I don't believe in this anymore. I don't feel the spark in, in the same way that other people claim to. And I can't, I've reasoned my way out of it, essentially. Um, then you're, you are left at a place that makes you think that those things are like total fantasies and, and, and don't hold any positive values. I, I admittedly, you know, I'll, I'll cop to this. That was sort of my mindset immediately after leaving religion. And this is really before sort of at the same time, but, but really kind of before I got into socialism more, you know, committedly, decidedly. Um, so that was the, that was the genesis of, you know, me being a non-faith-based person. Yeah. appreciate you exploring that there. So a lot of things Nietzsche is saying, I don't disagree with. Certainly religion can be used as a cope and it, it, it kind of sort of sometimes functions as that. And it can certainly be a lot worse than that. Um, and all cultures do have to have answers to certain questions like how to move things or where we come from or how to treat, you know, opposite genders or whatever. And um, just because like he has anthropomorphic questions and observations that are like platitudinal and, and, and across all doesn't mean though that like there is no truth. It's sort of like as you, a similar example would be like, oh, we start to uncover some of the tools in God's toolbox through our use and exploration of science, all of a sudden we're like, oh, well, we see how this worked. So therefore it must have been, you know, something else that doesn't explain. Well, and I th yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's definitely true. And they, you know, I don't want to shortchange them. They, they speak to that, which is to say, or a lot of them, uh, Camus, maybe more so than the others that there is, yeah, there, there probably, there may be a truth. We don't know, but, and, and some say there is, you know, some say, there, we, there definitely isn't some say there might be but what they all kind of decide is that even if there is we can't possibly know what it is our our frames of reference are too narrow our our perspective as an individual is is so small it's such a small slice of the whole reality that we can make our best guess it's worth talking about and thinking about and and trying to use these concepts to inform your life, perhaps. Uh, but that, 
any pretension of really knowing which one of these possible religions has it totally right is just impossible. Phenomenal. And so, I would say, you know, that that part of the existentialism has been the part that stuck with me the most. The, 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 the ability to not know, like nail it down. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just not know. No, no, no point, I know. Yeah, I'm just yeah. clarifying that point particularly. Yeah, yeah, okay. I would I would say so, because at this point, like, I do think that there is something larger than ourselves. I, I've kind of come to the other side of that. And, and like you said, like, but well, that doesn't mean there isn't a truth. I think I land much more on the side of like, yeah, there probably is. I don't know if exactly I'd call it a truth, but like a, a definitely higher level of understanding that is what you might call the divine. Um, okay. That being said, I don't really see how any religion has any advantage over any others in access to that higher level of understanding, except these, you know, like Christianity is more culturally convenient for Western nations. Islam is more culturally convenient for Middle Eastern, North African, Southeast Asian, you know, like that's, sure. that's sort of how I, how I perceive it. This so structure. I also heard you say that because there are so many, it's very, um, impossible it's very unlikely that one has the corner on truth i think it's just as logical though to say that one of them could or some of them all do and so therefore to say we don't know therefore i won't pursue is to say there are so many therefore i can't know and i won't pursue is almost and I'm, i don't mean i just lack more articulate words so it's not a charge or an accusation. It's like yeah. an apathetic reaction to potential complexity of the pursuit of truth. So, so I don't think so. It's, certainly, I can understand people being immobilized by that, but I don't think it it should because it's also logically not positive. It's not it's not like a perfect thing because one of those could have truth. Does that make sense? And could have meaning and life everlasting. So just logically, there to say there are so many. Okay isn't like a good landing place just because we can be taken captive just like you can be taken captive via a religion, right? And turn into a zealot or turn into, you know, some sort of terrorist. So too, can you be taken captive by this, like understanding that it's all overwhelming, it's all unknowing. And therefore, you know what, I'm going to go the different direction, which could be dangerous, just as dangerous as going too far into one. Would you uh, at least logically agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I would say that you're, I don't disagree with any of that in the sense that yeah i do believe all religions contain some measure of truth sure um, there's similar efforts to try to articulate a word that none of, that doesn't exist in our any of our languages and some of them you know give it their best shot and it might be a facsimile thereof but none of them have in my opinion there, there's no way to know if any of them have quite gotten it fully and well, sure I, I, well, and that, here's what I'm saying yeah. is, but personally, though, tying back into Russ's um, understanding, he has this like life series of life altering. I know now I know and I knew I didn't know. And now I know I have it. And, and now I know it's different. And millions of other people have this sort of similar things. Now, some people claim that they do and live hypocritical, hypocritically to that truth that they claim, which can certainly muddy the waters. But folks like Russ, who have like sort of made a, a left turn or an L turn like it, it, it's worth pausing and considering um, just because number one, going far off into the, you know what? It's too unknowing. It's, it's, it's not knowable is the same as 
this is the only truth that I'm unwilling to even listen or hear of any other truths because Islam or Christianity or Mormonism or whatever is the, is the, you know, right way. And I can't hear anything else. I think it's just, that's that same kind of thing. Now, I really liked what you said about one of the core aspects of what you said was the knowing, because I want to ask you, like, what do you, like Jesus says at a, a very Eastern type thing right before he gets taken up and crucified or by the Romans, at least eternal life is to know God and the one he sent Jesus Christ. And so like why I'm so fixated on Jesus, because it actually starts to get into um, a topic we really haven't broached, but I know we've wanted to is freedom and like knowing God and knowing Jesus, that is spiritual freedom. And that's what happens in heaven. And there's certainly a lot of other things that happen in heaven, but like, that's, that's our slice of heaven. We get here on earth. And so, well, I, so my last little piece to that, and yeah. I, just to throw in because you're smarter and I lose my train of thought is <laughs> the entire fullness of God's nature. So Christians believe dwells in Christ to know Jesus and his attitude and what he did is to know what God would do. And so it is mind blowingly liberating to know, Oh, this is how God acted. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And I, like, that's why I, I think that you know like christianity obviously very popular religion um in world history and i think it is a good avenue a good package for a lot of people to know god um if that's the word you want to use and i actually think you know i don't want to have built it up like i don't think like i've landed on certain things that definitely do guide my spiritual perspective like there are things i believe in terms of of you know a transcendent divinity um, and I definitely want to get into the freedom conversation. I think this might be a good avenue to, to, to go there, uh, because what I understand as the divine is, uh, we're all essentially made of the same material. That's scientifically true. physically the elements. Yes. Yeah. Phys- physically, it is true. We are all made up of atoms, uh, which are made up of, you know, neutrons, electrons, and yeah. protons. Um, maybe some quarks in there, or maybe they're a part of it. You know. <laughs> Hard to say. Sci- scientists like to talk about dark matter. That's where they lose me. I'm like, yeah. okay. So now you're just being like, yeah, there's this thing I can't see. Imaginary or... numbers. Again, that's probably yeah. evidence of creationism. Continue. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyways. Um, but the, that is what makes up the entirety of the universe. Um, and so in a fun, in a, a physical way, we're all part of the same whole. Um, now, in a spiritual sense, I and I think this is a lot of the root of Marxism, or at least it is for me, is this idea that there is no me. I do not exist beyond what the, the, the social relations I've had in my life have given me. I don't have any thoughts that are mine. Um, my body is, is really... It, the body I have today is fully influenced by the people I've grown up with. The language I speak informs the way I think Uh, the country I grew up in and the place specifically places specifically I grew up in and all the accompanying people that made up that whole experience are me. Every episode of TV I've watched, it's all, there is no part of who I am that is not reliant upon the world that I grew fascinating up. yeah that is that is a strong attempt to remove a spiritual soulful 
fingerprint on you that is uniquely yours. Um, and 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 yes, while we are made up of the th- same atoms, while we have myriad infinite different 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 inputs, largely those come from the same stew of what's out there. Um, your spirit or soul would be something that is uniquely yours. And that is something, and just, just be careful because fairly accurate observations of human traditions on top of, or with philosophy can deceive us if it's not, if it doesn't include the same reality spiritually, it's like, you're trying to, I feel like Marx and what you just described there looks at it from the world perspective and says, well, I can't feel and touch a spirit or a soul. Therefore there must not be one, I guess. Is, is, no, I'm not no, well, that, that's but... just the thing though. That's just the thing is it's not, that's not what he's talking about. It's not that because we're part of some massive collective or that we're all part of the same whole, that we don't have a connection to the divine. It's that the divine to me is also connected to you is also connected to this chair I'm sitting in is also connected to the birds outside that the sum total of divinity think I, I kind of think about it and I've heard people talk about it this way is sort of like a net. Uh, so like imagine uh, yeah. a massive net and at each node is an individual consciousness or yeah. something along those lines. So you absolutely do have the opportunity. Like that is our access to the divine. In my opinion, as I think I've talked a little bit about, maybe not fully. I, I guess that kind of, and I don't mean, is it okay if I? Yeah, no, bump, kind of, yeah, yeah, that, okay. but like goes against the grain with some other things that we can observe within ourselves, like our notion of justice, right? Our notion of justice and other things that are observable through every culture in human history, certainly different ways it has been applied, right? Like we have this notion that like there's a good and a, and a bad or like a good and an evil and a, a a sense of like justice, I guess is what I'm trying to say with like um, with, with not just punishment, I guess, but sentences. So you're saying there are universal principles that people of completely disconnected civilizations and cultures all have that, that sort of sounds like a collective unconscious to me. I think it does in a sense, I think it would probably similarly be said, yeah, or come from the same creator. But what I'm trying to articulate is if we all end up in the same place because we're all a part of the same net, then that violates our most core sense of justice that I think it's been given to us. That's part of the collective unconscious. It's a part of the God that gave, that created us. And I'm not trying to boil down God to a collective unconscious. I'm really not because right. I think we are, we all have certain, we're all like, if, if we all have fingerprints, we all have, we are all made by a finger. Therefore we're all, you know, shaped in some sort of the same way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I think I, I understand what you're saying. Um, for me though, like this idea of uh, transcendence, you know, kind of a, what you talked about, like heaven being knowing God. Um, it's certainly more than is, that, but yes. Yeah. Or, or the, yeah, that the to or know the, God eternal life. Yeah. Is eternal life. Um, I actually have the same perspective that if you were, you know, to leave this world fully un- not just fully understanding uh, that there's connected that the, all the connected consciousnesses in the world and the universe, whatever it may be, represent the divine and that you're part of that. 
uh, that if you were to leave that world, not only fully understanding it, but fully uh, having internalized it to the level that that is the way you lived your life, uh, then I think you you do go into whatever is after this with a transcend sense of something understand it. Yeah, you, a higher reality. You transcended the the ego uh, that is crying out, telling you to hold on to this life as much as possible. Yeah, that uh, could, because yeah. You, you don't have an understanding of what's after. That's if so you wild. fully internalize that you're part of a whole and you're just returning to the whole, then what do you have to fear? Observation uh, and then question. Observation yeah. is man. That though sounds like a philosophy that leads you to darkness and chains, particularly by people who are in the power structure, right? Like nothing would be more deceptive and more convenient for a collective rule by a few than you're really not a part. You're really nothing individual. And when you die, like nothing really happens to you. Like that is mightily suspiciously convenient of a good philosophy that like, that, that makes certain points that makes particularly certain cr criticisms accurately into a direction. You're like, all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, this is clearly evil and not good. Does that make well, sense? See, I, I, yeah, I, I see where, where you could, you could see that. But part of this understanding is this understanding that there is nothing you can do to someone else that is not going to be also done to you, whether it comes in a, a physical, you know, comeuppance or a spiritual loss an alienation from your fellow humans, uh, there is a penalty paid for what you, you know, oh, hurting second. someone oh. else is hurting yourself. Where do we go? Oh. And, and I don't want to make this it, my point. Me, I don't want to make this my point because I have a more important question, but I think it's worth throwing out there. Like one, where do you get that? Who governs that? Like to me, like, uh, cause I've read this at Arthas, I've read the Lao Tzu's, I've read the, I'm not, certainly not all their published works or the Confucius's and, um, like the collective unconscious, the Tao, it seems convenient that there's not an intelligence behind it, right? Like as um, I think as Lao Tzu says, like the, like, oh, not Lao Tzu, but um, in, I think in Hinduism, it's called the Rata. In Buddhism, it's called the, um, the Tao, right? It is the way that governs, the thing that governs the, the uh, yin and the yang, that is God. And I'm certainly putting a lot more infinite intelligence on him. I just think that like to say it, we're all, it's all going to shake out in the end. Like there must be an enormously intelligent series of dark and light matter to actually intelligently govern that. Otherwise, like, man, you know what I mean? Like, because then we got to wrap in everything else that's physically like happening, like spirit, physical laws, laws of physics. It just, to me, it's just like, gee, well, it's not like you actually go to a specific place. I mean, like, I don't know. This is what I'm right. saying. Like, these are these are questions that are really beyond human comprehension. Fair. So let me. But, I, but I, what, I kind of ranted on you on the ones. I, here's the question I really wanted to ask. All those other ones you could probably refute, and they'd be, you know, leave us at a nil anyway. <laughs> is yeah. that this Jesus character, right? Not just because he rose from the dead, but that's a big reason. Not just because there are prophecies that he, you know, supposedly fulfilled, but because. He claimed to know God, claimed to be God, but to know God, and this is how to know God. And I like, I feel like even in the way he lived his life, certainly I've had, I have spiritual attractions, mental attractions, and you know, all these other sorts of things. Like, I wonder if you could look at Jesus as, as start to look at Jesus, at least as the best representation of like what a node could and should be. 
And then like, and, and then if you were to, then like, why isn't Jesus emulatable to all? Well, if that's the case, I mean, Jesus says the same thing that I just said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me also. Um, you know, yeah, there, there is an essential or... connectedness between all of us. Now, now I do think that Jesus is a, a generally a good representation of, and I, it's, it's not like I've ruled, even ruled him out as a possibility in terms right. of like, you know, I mean, he- heck, could have been three most, the three major religions in the world. Well, I mean, the, the, all the Abrahamic religions, Islam, uh, Christianity and Judaism, all have Jesus as one of their most major figures. Like he clearly had some important things to say. Um, now that said, uh, you know, and I do, I think it's possible that he was channeling, you know, at a higher level of understanding for, especially for that time. And in the cultures he was operating in. Yeah. I think it's definitely possible. He was in touch with the divine. Okay. Um, you know, the beyond that, I sure like, but, but Here's I my also request. believe that about Muhammad. I do also believe that about this. Here's my request. Because you have put me through the ringer on some books. I've almost sure. finished the People's History United's, uh, the People's History. I've finished um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I've also, man, you gave me another one. I'm almost finished. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, my request uh within and i know you've got a lot of reading and things to do is to do a red letter read of the bible just matthew mark luke john you could really do it in one sitting if you wanted to sure. um and 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 then let, let's 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 read about jesus in his own words supposedly you know and um and then recap this discussion on what we think about jesus and 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 then particularly what you think about jesus and jesus freedom we'll set ourselves up i'll reread them too and we'll have a discussion post gospel analysis of Jesus freedom. What does he offer? What is he, who was he, what was he saying he was about? And what does that mean for our freedom? No doubt. Definitely down to get into all that. Uh, I'm going to hold you to it. Don't you? Yeah, don't you? Hey, Hey, listen, we can jank my I, chain. I, I think it's, it's a worthwhile spiritual exercise, um, which is another thing I'm trying, you know, like as I, you know, let's, let's get into the topic of freedom before we totally veer off course, because I do want to, yeah, let's, let's end with freedom. Then. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the general conception of freedom that we experience in the United States is a pretty degraded one. And, and it gets back to what I, I talked about in terms of that, what you do to others, you do to what you do to others, you do to yourself quickly. Uh, most people would be challenged with that if they haven't listened to you before, because we're the most supposedly politically free country in the world and in world history, you say, yeah, well, all of our actions are basically commercial impulses. And we have basically the only freedom we have is the freedom to consume and choose what we consume based on our level of income. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I would say that that definitely is or based on our of American freedom is, is a freedom to consume. You know, I, one of my favorite onion art headlines I've ever seen was uh, Pope, uh, Francis reverses his position on uh, capitalism after seeing how many varieties of Oreos you can buy at the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, but, uh, but I, what, why is that the impulse for freedom? Um, I don't think it's just because so many of our other freedoms are restricted by our socioeconomic status. Oh, that's part of it. I think our conception of freedom as consumption, as personal pleasure, which is what consumption is really all about, um, is, you know, I mean, it's almost cliche I, to say. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not being about personal pleasure. That sounds right. I haven't thought about that, but it could lead us in other places. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that it, that is to fill a void um, that is is lost by the alienation. And I think Christians probably have a similar understanding to that. Uh, but to me, it's based out of our alienation from our fellow humans. Um, I think we live in the most the, the most advanced capitalist society. And similarly, I would say we live in the most alienated society in human history. Okay. Do you think that's true or not? Like, where where do you stand on that? Clarify that point because clarify that point. And because I think people, even though the people that like pounded their dashboard and said America, when you said most advanced advanced capitalist society means the most isolated society, what do you mean by that? And then I want and then give it in the context of freedom. Well, I think more and more, you know, as we've, our capitalism has developed and taken over more and more sectors of our life, like more and more of our interactions are not human interactions, but are market interactions. Uh, I mean, just as a small example, you know, like I live in a house with a couple of roommates and I just, I hate charging them on Venmo for like some small bull crap, you know? Uh, And we, I have certain roommates who like really, you know, for the smallest thing, we'll give you a $2 and 50 cent charge, you know, like (laughs) I got you a candy bar or whatever. And I, you know, it sort of puts me at a disadvantage because either I'm too lazy or I just don't care enough that I just never charge them for when I get them stuff. Because that's how I think it should be, you know, no debts between friends. And I think a lot of people like to operate that way because it doesn't factor, you know, like when you, when you, when I left my shoes at your house and you offered to give me $30 for them and I was like, oh yeah, that, that seems fair. But then I like almost wanted to call you back and be like, dude, I'm going to send you back the money. Cause like, why, why would I ask for money from my brother? But as capitalism further and further makes things precarious or, or really requires you to have an edge to make it, you know, those, those transactions start to add up and people do are compelled to introduce the market into more aspects of their lives and relationships. And that alienates people from each other. You know, it, it makes it a non-human interaction or a non-human relationship, but a market relationship. And I think in as the most advanced capitalist society, the more we see that, the more people are retreating inwards because they have nowhere else to go. Uh, and the only thing they can think to do to fill that void of, of humanity is just gratuitous pleasure. Um, and I, hey, listen, I'm not mad at anyone for that. Like I was that was me, um, especially after I left religion. I thought that that's where, you know, meaning and satisfaction lied was in fulfilling my own personal ambitions and temptations. You're saying when you left religion, that was like what you were sort of like banked up against. Like, this was all I got. Sort of the Nietzsche be the Uberman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think his his Ubermensch is more nuanced than that. But the rudimentary, the rube understanding of Nietzsche is that um, or of existentialism is that. That it's just it's all about feeling it's what are what you know it's all about what relishing in the feeling of human experience um and while that can provide a distraction from the spiritual chasm between you and the divine or it can provide you know sort of the illusion of of meaning in in micro instances it can't really provide you know the spiritual basis that can nourish you um, in the sense that your, you know, food nourishes the body. 
Okay, so my request is, since I'm, it's the same episode, I can keep adding chapters on because I'm just getting <laughs> chapters for books. Let's put the first five chapters of Ecclesiastes in our discussion. For, on the list. On the list, because I was just, yeah. I had my nose in Ecclesiastes, so did Samantha. And it's written by supposedly the wisest man ever, but he's also manic depressive, I think, at the end of his life. And he basically says, uh, you know, quick quote, um, a, a paraphrase. It's a gift of God to eat, drink, and enjoy the labor that God's given us in the short days that we have. And that's what life's about. That's about basically it. Now, I think there's more going on there. But anyways, that would be, I think, um, Solomon is particularly in his first five chapters is, was, you know, uh, the OG of ex- modern existentialism. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, that that is not only existentialism, but also the goal of communism, I would argue, is to get like in our most advanced state, you know, however many generations from now, if we were to stay on that path towards communism, finally get there, it would be a world where, you know, people do some work, but they spend most of their time spending time with people, with other people. So, I mean, this, this is, and this is not, you know, this what? is not a, an uncommon theory in philosophy. I mean, Epicurus sort of, you know, Ataraxis, that, that was his, his yeah. meaning of life as well of like, Life's I about just think, talking philosophy with your friends. <laughs> right. But I think like there are like three other examples, though, and I don't want to this. We don't probably have time to debate them. Um, but there are three examples that are really unique to that uh, philosophy that might point elsewhere to say, like, well, maybe that's actually like one of those philosophies that leads us in a direction that isn't true. And the three I'll pick are the Spartans, the Indians and the Greeks. Um, so Lysurgius, an r- original lawgiver in Sparta. And like he makes, you know, the currency as big as like a stone or something. Right. And mm-hmm. it makes the citizens of Sparta, one, have slaves um, two also like not desire money. They want to they did. It, it's in the human heart. Right. I claim that it's to desire something. Right. We have greed in our hearts. We have things that like that are imperfect and will always be imperfect, less a spiritual reality. And the Spartans started to crave honor, right? And a, a, a militaristic society. One, probably because they were more disciplined than other people and, you know, in better shape and, and could. Um, I think the American Indians are also a little bit different in that, one, we, what we did in the American Indians is way underplayed and super terrible. But particularly when they got the horse, right? Like they were agrarian subsistence level, you know, uh, gross generalizations. But when they got the horse, man, they became like, dog face soldiers like they they prized not necessarily money as much as they did warriors and honor and well i, I yeah i think there's you know there's other factors in there and the sense tons. of like feeling the encroaching colonization by the white man okay look, i'll, I'll use the greeks because i certainly don't want to you know like yeah, yeah we don't want to go fully off but yeah i, I yeah. take your point though I do but, take but even point. the greeks right the sophists and and, and yeah. what happened all, all the way up through man the middle ages where um, it was the Greeks and the sophists, or it was the priests through the Catholic, uh, you know, or the, the Roman Catholic Church, like to do like there was a perfect and acceptable level of calling from God. And I'm not saying the Greeks and the sophists were, but because they you know, necessarily didn't believe in the one God. But there was this idea that like the upper class didn't have to work. And that was the preferred manner of living where you could just spend your time in gymnastic and musical education and you know, sparring and debating and these sorts of things. Yeah. And that like 
led to and or was a part of moral debauchery and, you know, um, exuberance of consumption and all these things that show when you have opulence or you even have just all your base needs met, our greedy little fingers are going to freaking find ways to screw it up. And, you know, so it's like the craved. So we have so so I guess I point to those three examples as like the reality of the craven nature, the, the, the broken nature of our hearts over all time and space, including in the future. And that still leaves us with the need of like, okay, like if we are all common, right? If we were all, whether the collective unconscious and or same creator, then maybe that there's like, maybe there's a key to our lock that we all have. Like we all have a craving that we all need a key for. That, I mean, yeah, I do understand that, that point. And I would say, you know, minus the American Indians, the other cultures that you mentioned, you know, we're profoundly unequal society, as you mentioned, slaves and the Spart- case of Sparta. And, you know, obviously it was there was a hierarchy in Athens as well. Uh, but it's it's really about like, what what are those things for? Like, why do people seek honor in, in any culture or anything else? Like the root basis of it is like a recognition, uh, connection and and love or admiration or some facsimile thereof from your community. And so what socialism, I think, tries to say, and certainly sort of the spiritual base, my spiritual basis for it is, well, why let's cut out the middleman. Let's let's make it about love and connection. And maybe it will be Uh, now you could argue that's naive or utopian or or, or what have you. But I think that is what Jesus says in a lot of ways. I'm just trying to make it into a program that we clarify in a sentence what you think Jesus says. Well, just that like love and connection are the foundational uh, needs of humans, you know, outside of their base, you know, physical needs. And that and I or socialists, I think, are just trying to put that into a program that it is an effort to bring people into that sort of mindset. But by making them realize that their own self-interest lies in the self-interest of everyone else, the interests of the collective. That their real self-interest doesn't lie in what they can get over on their neighbor, but that all if all of their neighbors were, were cared for and, 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 and secured, then there would be a, uh, a better outcome for all. I love the passion, and I particularly love the willingness to go all in on what you're saying. Um, I just think it misses the first thing. Which so because if I had to boil three things Jesus said down was love God with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself, and then he ups number two to say love your neighbor as I've loved you, right? Yeah. And what you're saying I think is love your neighbor with everything you got. I'm saying that it's both love God with everything you got, and love your neighbor with everything you know, and, and as Jesus did. And when those two come into play then like you might have something, but when you go for only the second, then like you're not fixing the craven nature of our beings. Well, well, that's why. And I think this is maybe a good place to finish up just because I think it's kind of a final point for me, but that, that idea that like you won, that if this were to be an idea that would take root in people, like my, my purpose of describing these beliefs is like to one, you know, inform you, but also I do think that whatever, if there were to ever be a socialist mass movement, it, there would need to be a spiritual component. However, I think all of our current religions have too much baggage and are too degraded by 
human society. Whether they whether they fully spoke to a truth at one point or not, I don't I th- don't think they're capable of doing that anymore. Too much has changed. Well, and and, and there is a need for a new, not necessarily secular, but something that is as apart from all those things, but still captures that that general understanding and that that, that idea does need to spread. And How you about know, what, what that looks like eventually, I, I don't know. I, I admit, I freely admit, but I think that that is something that socialists and and anyone who's interested in the the common outcome good outcomes for everybody needs to get to okay well before we say we need a secular religion um that we all can adhere to um and we may (laughs) um let's do this give yourself a time frame um and i don't got to rush but to go through the gospels and the first five chapters of ecclesiastes and it might be another you know two for episode but very commonly, just like, you know, people misapply Nietzsche or misapply, you know, Muhammad, um, they misapply Jesus. So let's do a, a, a little uh, examination glass on on Jesus and, and see what we find and see if that does or doesn't solve what we're looking for. How about that? I agree. And just as a final, final point, what I will say is the reason we're able to do stuff like a biblical exegesis is because we have enough leisure uh, to fully understand what we're trying to do and that's another goal of communism is to give people the actual free time to think about these things so fair if we were working seven days a week we wouldn't have that so yes um what's the time frame uh you know i could i could probably knock that out in the next two weeks two weeks all right if it's going a little long that's okay uh let's shoot for that we'll shoot for that um okay i was thinking yeah two to four all right, dude. Any anything else for you? How uh, anything else you've been reading besides uh, you know well, besides the usual, I guess. Yeah, first I appreciate you you going and doing it. I have been man really in depth into Philippians and um, and Ecclesiastes now. I've decided rather than to go broad recently over the last couple of months, like I do a lot to go really deep and have been committing to memory a lot of scripture, just because. I would rather look at everything from that perspective than see more of other perspectives for where I'm at currently. No, it sounds like a lot of, a lot of work, but uh, self-improvement always is. Yeah. I, I, I like it as it, it, it sort of washes my mind and I, I'm literally trying to replace the thoughts I don't like with the thoughts that are in the book. Brainwashing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I don't think that's wrong necessarily. I don't want you to, I'm not being facetious. What about you? Um, you know, I've, I've been uh, returning to kind of the beginning, the, really the crux of my whole spiritual journey, which was uh, Kierkegaard, because he's a Christian and an existentialist. I just um, memorized the verse that is the title of his book, Fear, Fear and, and Trembling. Yeah, yeah, um, because I think what he has to say about faith and belief and, uh, I mean, just... I mean, life in general, but especially about faith, I think is super important and really kind of hammering home a lot of the things I've been thinking about. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good one for anybody who's, who's uh, struggling, wrestling with these questions and don't want to be too biased either way. Uh, he's a Christian and an existentialist. And I decided for myself after that I was just the second one of those, but he makes some pretty good arguments for Christians too. So mm, before we get into fear and trembling, uh, join us with the gospel. And then uh, if you feel up to it and you want to do fear and trembling again, we can. Yeah, my definitely could be worthwhile, especially after a gospel read. Good. Um, I'll be but, that. Just read it slow, a.k.a. the gospel, just because, yeah. you know, everyone can read it. But, I, you know, don't 
let's let's when we're honestly talking, i don't even know if i have a bible here anymore oh do you need one uh let me i'll take a look i'll let you know if you do none would that be for me to send you one <laughs> <laughs> um all right man well it was uh good talking do you have anything else no um i love you i gave my blood um out of my day just because you know it was it was a bit of an inconvenience but we need to you know what man look this is local we cannot be getting bogged down on what we watch on the news. We got to be loving people next door, whether we know them or not. Yeah. No matter what you think you can control or can't control uh, somebody in your community needs blood probably. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make an effort to go do that this week myself. Very good. Um, okay. All right, all right, man. Well, I love you. Love you talking. Thanks. But principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And... Uh, Look forward to seeing you next time.